0: Welcome to March or Die. Glad to have you with me. Looking forward to today's show. Great, great guest. We'll jump into that in just a second. But to those of you that are listening to the podcast version of this show or you're listening today over at Mojo Five O, thank you for doing that. So glad to have you with me. I want to encourage you to do this. Take some time when the show is over, go over to YouTube and you can find the channel there. You can look for my name. It's on my YouTube channel, Jeremy Stallnecker. You can find my name, find my channel. Go ahead and subscribe to that channel. Hit the notification bell and you'll be notified when more content, including this show, come online. And i uh, love to share that with you. Other things we post there as well. want to keep you in the loop. And then there you can go ahead and... Leave a comment if you'd like to, share that content out with others, and that would be fantastic. Of course, you can do that on your podcast platform. Take some time to subscribe there. And for those of you that are listening at Mojo, thank you for doing that. Very grateful for our friends there at Mojo Five O. Uh, great conversation today. This is the show, March or Die, where we discuss every week principles for moving forward When it feels like your life is falling apart, and all of us can relate to that. We all understand what it's like to have those moments in time where we feel like our life is falling apart. Maybe we're encountering a battle or a difficulty that we didn't see coming. Uh, This is the show that, in my best attempt, (laughs) gives you principles for moving forward. And today we have a, uh, a wonderful guest that's going to help us consider some of these things. Jason Sawtell is uh, a new friend of mine, someone that I've met in the last month or so. And we've had several conversations. I've even been on his podcast recently. And uh, man, what an incredible life story he has. And he is now pouring his life into helping others who are struggling in many of the same ways he struggled. Jason is a retired firefighter. He's served in a couple of places, but retired out of the city of Oakland. And as you can imagine, uh, the trauma and uh, just so many of the things that a firefighter would deal with in that city, in that environment. And Jason did from a young man, 22 years again in the fire service, carried a lot of that with him, came to a point of uh, really self-destruction and then an understanding of what he needed to move forward. And he talks to us about that. Uh, Jason, among other things, has a, a great podcast. It's called Jesus is All We Need. The Jesus is All We Need podcast. I would encourage you to check that out. He has a great Facebook page, a lot of followers there, a lot of great content and material there. You can find that as well. And then has uh, recently published a book, The Rescuer, and he'll talk about that in this interview as well. But uh, I hope that this is a help to you. Please take some time. Share this out. You know someone that needs to hear a conversation like the one you're going to hear in just a second. Share it out. Let us know what you think. And I hope that you will be encouraged and blessed by this conversation with Jason Sautel.
1: Jason Sautel, thanks for joining me, man. Really, really appreciate your time. Oh, man, it's such a blessing to be here. Thanks for having me, bro.
0: I feel like we're doing this every week now, so uh, I talked to you last week, and you're talking to me this week. We'll have to do something next week, too. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think we first met it up in the mountains up there at Hume Lake, then uh, you came on my podcast, and now here I am with you guys, so and it's here totally we are. awesome.
0: It's awesome, man. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, I've given your bio and, and a little bit of uh, who you are, but if you wouldn't mind, take some time, um, talk about becoming a firefighter, becoming a firefighter in Oakland, mm-hmm. uh, some of the struggles there. Just tell us your story a little bit.
1: Yeah. You know, I became a firefighter when I was 18 years old and it actually started as working for the California Conservation Corps because I dropped out of high school in the 10th grade. And I was running amok around a little town named Hemet, California, (laughs) in the the San Jacinto Valley.
0: (laughs) You always have to bring that up, which I don't appreciate. But so that's my hometown, and uh, I've tried to keep that quiet. I shared it with you, and
1: now you're you're telling everyone. Yeah, careful what you share with me, pal. So, (laughs) anyways, you know, I I dropped out of high school because, you know, like many people, I came from a household full of abuse and full of uh, not the love of the Lord. So it was really a rough childhood. Well, I had a choice of either maybe doing a little bit of jail time or checking out this thing called the California Conservation Corps, like I just mentioned. So I went in there and I remember we were at a fire camp and we weren't putting out fires. Our job was to like feed the firemen and keep camp clean and all that kind of stuff, support roles. And I was talking to a firefighter and I'm like, bro. What more do you guys do than fighting all these grass fires down here in Southern California? He started talking about going to medical calls, house fires, and it's just something like touched my heart. I'm like, that sounds cool, being able to serve other people. So I asked him. I said, "What do you need to become a firefighter?" First, he's like, "Well, you need a high school diploma." I'm like, okay, that job's out. <laughs> <laughs> but I went back through and I got my uh, highest, uh, my GED. And I applied for what was called California Department of Forestry back then, and it's Cal Fire now, and I immediately got a job after interviewing with the captain. And so I worked there for a couple of years, but back then in 1993, it didn't pay the bills as a seasonal firefighter, so... I decided I wanted to go on and do city firefighting, not just for the money, but, you know, it's kind of nice to get paid a little more for what you do. Right. So I went to paramedic school, EMT school, which is my own only uh, schooling background I have since I left high school and I applied for a job up in Oakland. And sure enough, I got the job. And the crazy thing was I got hired at Oakland Two weeks before San Diego City called, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, but but my heart was just for the city of Oakland. Then once I got there, so I landed the job. And the reason that I loved it in Oakland so much is because coming from such a tough background and such a rough growing up. I was able to serve a neighborhood that was truly impoverished. West Oakland, you know, especially in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was just an overlooked city. You had big, beautiful San Francisco. You had the rest of the barrier. Then, you know, you classically heard, ooh, stay out of Oakland. Right. Well, I went to Oakland and I fell in love with, it. and I fell in love with the heart of the people of diversity. And it, it, you know, everywhere in America, firefighters are doing the job of firefighting and, and they are called to the cities that they're supposed to be at. But Oakland, I was just drawn to it because we're so busy. We go out the door on so many fires. You just, it's a blessing to actually be able to do the job on a daily basis, you know, as opposed to sometimes sitting around waiting a while for something to happen. Right. So that's how I landed in Oakland and why I enjoyed it so much.
0: Um, Going into the fire service that young, and particularly your background, um, I'm sure there were a lot of things that were awesome about it, but there were probably some maybe, I won't say darker things, but more difficult things that impacted you um, deeply as you went on. I know some of your story, and Mm -hmm. um, you've described it as picking up pieces of you know, the tragedy, picking up pieces of uh, Mm -hmm. when people die and and the suffering and and, and all that goes along with that and carrying it along with you. When you start doing that at 18, 19, 20 years old, and you do that coming out of a home life and a background that wasn't wonderful, you didn't have a great frame of reference. Mm -hmm. uh, I would imagine that creates some uh, unique long-term challenges.
1: Uh, You hit the nail on the head and, you know, with your uh, background in the Marines and stuff, you kind of get what happens when you go into something like that, that has so much responsibility at such a young age. Um, By all means, I I think you can handle it, but the the brain has a lot of growing to still do. And what's rough is, you know, you talk about, oh, treading around the darkness, bro. I was in the pit of hell darkness. Mm, I was in the worst area of my life because I had a black hole inside of me. I, I, I just... I didn't hate, but everything that I filled up inside of me, it almost like turned to hate, like if I, I would meet a Christian, I'd find a reason to hate him. If I seriously, it was horrible a lot of people man. do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, let's be honest, sometimes we bring it on ourselves, sure, sure. but that's a whole nother topic of conversation. But it, it was me that was the problem because I was so void of any happiness, and so entering the fire service, I actually hoped that it would help heal that. But it was like putting a Band-Aid on an arterial bleed because I never wanted to see anyone hurt. I didn't show up. You're like, oh, it's better off to see someone in worse situation than me. I showed up because it felt so good to bring, you know, selflessly serve others and, and bring some care to their pain and suffering. And that's what made me feel better. But the problem being is when I went back to the firehouse, it would be gone. And, and I felt horrible again and nothing could fill the void inside of me. So even going through the Oakland drill tower, I was normal. I I fit right in, but dude, I felt like a fish in a fishbowl staring out into a world because I didn't actually feel as connected with these guys. I didn't feel the joy like they were feeling because I didn't ever have a way to deal with the pain of my past. And now I was soaking in new pains of, you know, let's be honest, going through the drill tower might have a lot to do with basic training. It's a tough place to be. And I didn't have a foundation like some of the other guys had. And so it was a painful spot to be. And that even continued on when I went through my uh, 22 years of the fire service. And uh, it wasn't until I was able to find faith that I had a place to finally have a foundation to build from, to help start working my way out of the pain I was in.
0: When you, when you look back over 22 years and now you have, you have maybe a a broader perspective of, Mm -hmm. of your time, um, when you're going through something like that, you do feel alone. You feel like I'm the only one that has the background that I have and that struggles the way that I do. And that feels the way that I do. And the response often to that is since I'm the only one, I'm not going to share that with these other people that I'm working with. Um, one of the interesting things, you know, doing the work that we do is, is helping people to understand you're not the only one. Right. Um, did you come to a point during your career or maybe after your career where you, you went, Oh, wow. I was not the only one. And there was no reason for me to be quiet about what I was struggling with.
1: Yeah. It, it the wow moment for that happened when I started writing my book and then it was published. And then the guys in the firehouse who I no longer work with anymore because I had to leave because of an injury, they read it and they were like, bro, you were 10 seconds out from killing your life and you're working with us every day. I'm like yeah, like, yeah, we would have never guessed it. They're like, bro, y- you told us you were from San Diego and you grew up in the perfect life. And, and it wasn't like I was lying to try to make myself look yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. I just wasn't telling the truth because I didn't want people to see the real me because I didn't see myself the way everyone else saw me. Right. And so when I finally came out, spoke on it, it's actually opened up so many conversations for EMS, like uh you know, cops, everyone, but you know, especially the firefighting community, because it, it's kind of like in the military unless we, we've been in the, the, depths of a battle i can feel a little what you went through on the parallels but dude if someone's never made that hallway and pushing through 1200 degree flames trying to get that parent that you're the kid that's trapped in the house and and we failed to get them a lot of times those people they won't understand what we went through but the beauty of it is even though they didn't go through the same pain or the trauma as me, we all feel the same pain. And yeah. so it's opened up those conversations. So I'm a huge, huge advocate for talking to guys in the firehouse now and saying, share your stories. Because by me sharing my stories, it's opened up so much more that I didn't realize was actually trapped inside of me. And it's blessed the multitudes, yeah. you know. So so it's a good thing to share your story. But honestly, in the firehouse, no, I didn't. I never shared my story. Do you feel like that's a cultural
0: thing? The culture was, don't talk about it. We're back now. We've moved on. And if it's
1: cultural, do you think any of that's changing? Or is this something that really needs to be addressed? I honestly feel, you know, we, we always talk about the, there's times of revival in the church, you know, <laughs> I'm seeing a yeah. huge time of revival when it's coming and dealing with PTSD in the fire service, EMS, mm. police, military, because there's now a light being shined on it. And there's actually now some money being pumped over there because money, you know, we know is scarce in public yeah. service that yeah. it has to be pumped into to our equipment and all that. But one of the biggest things we missed out on all the years is dealing with these traumas. And so to answer your question even deeper, I remember coming back from my first fire in oakland i caught a fire my first day out it was a third alarm wow. fire oh, wow. and we get back dude and i'm like and it was you know three victorians going and i mean just <laughs> it was going to the moon and i'm like well my head's spinning you know and the first thing all firefighters say is i didn't realize it was gonna be that hot <laughs> you know <laughs> and i go to bed and i'm waiting to talk and all these old 25 year old 30 year old veterans they just went back to bed and i'm looking around like right. were you guys even there right <laughs> so how do we decompress were, after this right well their generation <laughs> Generation was trained by the like World War II vets. Then that generation that I was being trained with, they were like the Vietnam era vets, you know, and stuff. So, and so then I was coming in where I was taking on that just man the heck up, deal with yeah. it. You got it, you got to deal with this. And let's keep it real go, go have a drink or something else. I'm not advocating that. That's what they would say is afterwards we go party, hang out, day drink, do all that stuff, which is the worst absolute thing we could do. So is actually. I see a paradigm shift now of we're switching through like, no, we got it. We got to change this culture because I've had way too many friends lose their lives yeah. from, from the job. You know I me, mean, they've walked away and they take their own life. And I almost took my own life and I've witnessed so many people. And I realized that I want to use these stories to bless others that may be on the brink that none of us recognize, you know, and, and so it's been a real blessing to do that.
0: One of the uh, one of the things I think people don't understand about, particularly firefighters in the United States, I, I don't know how it is anywhere else, but in the United States we have kind of a romantic view of firefighters and the fire service, um, American heroes for sure. The work that's done in communities is incredible, but we sometimes separate the trauma that goes along with that from you know the uniform and the community pancake breakfasts and all right. that stuff, and, and it's not a surprise when we when we're told that. You know, amongst police officers in the United States, the suicide rate is is astronomical. It's yes. it's unbelievable. Yes. But people are very surprised when they find out that in the fire service, it's astronomical as well. I don't remember the exact numbers, but they're very high. Um, can you kind of describe that process? I, I've had it described yeah. to me before from firefighters, and you know, it's been probably the one that jumps out at me the most. Someone said to me, "You you go to a an accident." And you find uh, a child that was killed in a car accident, you deal with that, you clean up the pavement, you go and put on a clean uniform, and then you go to a community pancake breakfast and smile like everything's okay. And that has consequences. Uh, What, maybe that is it, but what is it in your experience that led to you saying, I just can't do this anymore?
1: Yeah, no, that's so good. A great way to explain. Another way that I kind of explain it from a personal standpoint that I went through. Is I was blessed just to be on scene of some calls where we got to make what we call grabs in the fire service, pull people out, and they survived and and it was due to the actions of everyone involved, but because you were the actual one that had the hands on the patient, you yeah. know they have to pick one victor, guy you yeah, know one right. hero right and and I remember that's like we're at at the scene of this fire and i'm at the worst point in my life where a few days before a church turned me away that i tried to walk into because i wanted some help and and i wasn't dressed nicely right, so turned me away and wow. and i had all these traumas going on inside me and and then i go to work and i'm pulling someone out of a fire and i'm giving a ward and when i'm going on the stage i basically wanted in my heart of hearts to say you know, forget your award, pound sand on your award. I don't want. I just want someone to ask me, "Am I okay?" Yeah, and truly right. mean it, instead of being propped up to a hero. Because we're so quick to use this word "hero" and and put people up on these pedestals. And then when I talk with buddies nationwide and people that have had that, they're like, "You can keep your Medal of Valor, and you can keep your award." and I would rather if you would have just been there for me to help me or continue Mm -hmm. to help me, or if I can now use this quote status, that means nothing to me, but the world has given me, if I can use that to bless other people, then that's a good thing. So it it hurt, man, because like I said, people would, Hey, so we heard about that rescue you had. Well, or they would say, Hey, we heard about that horrible fire you had and it's cool. They brought it up, but now I'm reliving it. Yeah, you know, right. I'm not reliving the hero part of it. I'm reliving the the suck part of it, if yeah. you will. You yeah. know, so, yeah, that, that's the rough part.
0: Um, when you when you then you're dealing with people now or you're giving advice on how to deal with, you know, with professionals who deal with trauma on a regular basis, uh, how how should they do that? I get asked this question a lot. Yeah. You know, I've got a. I've got a a husband or more often it's a son or a a brother, maybe a daughter who's in the fire service or police officer in the military. And I know they're struggling, but I don't know what to say. So I don't say anything. Um, Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to someone who's saying, I need to know how to help someone like that?
1: Right. You know, I think one of the greatest things that we can do, is actually reach out to other places like your foundation, or there's so much stuff online we can look to now and ask for that advice. Because like my wife, Christy, I would come home from work, even as a saved Christian, feeling good, but I would already be planning on ways to fight with her before I even got home. What the heck was that all about? And then she had to learn to deal with that. Well, what's she going to do? Call a firehouse and say, Jason's being a jerk (laughs) or reach out to the mighty and and, and, and stuff. So what, what I first off tell people, is study up on it a little now. Study up on the PTSD, the PTSD, whatever you want to call it. Yep, so right. Study up on it read the signs and symptoms and see if your loved one is going for that, then maybe sometimes the first way to do it is for the loved one to reach out and ask, how can I help these people? Because I look at it like this, every person I approach, whether it's still a trauma or as you know, my heart, my heart is just drawn people to Christ and telling them the, the, the hope and the, and the salvation that can only be found in Christ alone. Well, when I approach these people, I'm doing an assessment. Dude, I, certain people, I don't walk up and just give the full gospel message to you right out of the gate. Other times it's that cup of coffee and I just want to absorb their pain and show them some love and I'm assessing them on what to do next. Well, I never learned to assess unless I went to paramedic school. So what I tell a lot of the family members out there, quote, go to that paramedic school to learn how to assess your loved one, reach out to the professional people who can help you help them and then bring the help they need because firefighters, cops, military folks, we're, we're a hard place to reach into even for family members. And it sucks for our family members. So to, to wrap it up, I say for family members and uh, people around to go get help and get trained up on it to their level, to draw these uh, folks to help.
0: Yeah, that's great. And there's a lot of help out there. I think that's, you know, just as much as the person who's struggling feels like there's no help, the family, the, the friends also feel like there's no help, but there really is. Um, your podcast is, is awesome. And you know, you're kind of, I say you're just getting started, but God's given you a great platform and you have some incredible material, but you know, you and many others are doing this for that purpose to provide resources that can be a help to people. There's a lot out there and uh, people need to lean into that. Um, we won't talk about all of, you know, kind of your view of Christianity. And um, I I would encourage people to go listen to uh, some of the other conversations you've had on that. But you came to a point where you said, okay, I've rejected Christ. I've rejected even God and and all of these things. Um, What was it that brought you to the point, kind of that catalyst moment for you where you said, I've had it wrong and I need to to view this differently or to take the next step or uh, whatever that looks like on your journey? What was the catalyst for changing your direction?
1: Well, the catalyst was a fire that I thought I was going to die in, but up before that fire, I had just started experiencing some good things in my life and everything good that I was experiencing had a Bible or someone telling me about Jesus. And every time they said that to me, the, the black hole inside of me wouldn't eat it up and turn it into horrible stuff. So I'm like, wait, what's going on here? Because mm-hmm. I'm going out and partying with the guys. But then I respond to this, you know, 90 year old woman that her husband who wasn't military veteran, he passed away and, and we're doing CPR on him. And it's my job as the medic to say your loved one is dead. And she's holding this huge King James Bible in her. When I come out to tell her in the living room, I'm like, ma'am. And she also looks at me and I had tears in my eyes, big, tough fireman. Right. And I've been yeah. on hundreds of cardiac arrest calls and she goes, my husband's with Jesus, isn't he? Mm. I didn't believe in, I, I believed in Jesus. The man, but I just shook, shook my head was like, yeah. And I had tears in my eyes, man. Yeah. And in West Oakland, old school, Victorian, this 90 year old woman, all of maybe five foot one and 80 pounds. <laughs> puts her Bible down, comes and puts her hands around me and head right here in my chest and goes, child, it's okay. Wow. My loved one is with Jesus. So check this out. Here's this woman that just lost her whole world, in my opinion, to her loved one. And what was she doing? She's pouring grace out onto me. So that grace, and it never went away. That yeah. goodness never went away as opposed to me trying to help someone who's dying and you, you know doing IVs on me and all that stuff. That all went away. And so I start somewhere. Well, then I met a girl And she quickly fell in love with me, and I quickly fell in love with her. And she flat out one day told me, "She said, if you don't go to church with me, I'm not going to keep dating you." She never once said (laughs) I needed to to become a Christian. But what she realized, Christy, my wife, now she realized that I was like a fifth alarm fire, and she was a single fire engine. She (laughs) she needed more alarms there to handle this dude, this mess up guy. So I went to church, and the pastor actually took me out. We hung out, and uh. It was a a cup of tea we had, wink, wink, that we uh, (laughs) hung out with. And And, and he actually broke it down to me, the gospel message. And to speed it up, a couple days after this, bro, what was so crazy was I was in a fire and I got trapped. And I started to feel the pain kick in that I wasn't going to make it out. And I had no way to get out because I was trapped so deep in this old building and stuff. And, and it shook me to my core and while I was laying there. I just had this light, like I wasn't praying to God, but you know, that classic thing, there's, there's no atheists in the foxhole. right? <laughs> right <laughs> you right. know, I, I was just like, I was come out of that fire and I shook to my core. And after that fire, I just realized I don't want to die away from God. I don't want to die in the eternal flames. I don't want to die in this. And I was like, all right, I'm all in. And right when that happened, the growth started that all this crud I'd been responding to as a fireman, all this crud I went to as a child, it didn't go away, but I now had clarity and a way to truly start working through it. And that was kind of my wah time of my life. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, man, what an incredible
0: testimony the way God just uses those events. And some of us are a little more hard headed than others. So <laughs> right. sometimes it's a real fire, not just yeah. the uh, metaphorical type. Uh, incredible. When, A Christian, someone who's put their faith in Christ, goes through trials or difficulties and traumas and all the other stuff. Um, If they're walking with God, they tend to do better in the trial. And we could talk about a lot of the reasons. and, And I think, you know, very simply, they have the right context. Right. Eternally understanding there's a sovereign God who's outside of time and space, a God who loves them and has a plan for them. They have the right context to mm-hmm. be able to frame what they're going through, Right, like that lady that you described. Right. I'm sure the loss was deep, but she had the right context to process that. Um, in, in your experience, what is it about faith that allows us to go through trials and difficulties with what the Bible calls a peace that passes understanding?
1: Yeah, it's so good. My Bible's sitting in front of me, and that's why I'm looking down right now. And I'm just going to roll right, right to John 14, 27 and let God speak to us peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as the world gives do I give to you let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid you know that 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 verse upon many other I'm not like one verse guy of like oh what's your life verse it's like man you know from Genesis to the indices I know the indices (laughs) revelation but
0: it's It's all all my my life life. Yeah. yeah
1: it's all my life verse um but man true peace can only be found in the Lord. And I learned that, man. And we can give testimony after testimony. We can let his infallible word speak it out. We can let the Holy Spirit bring clarity to us, man. But when you find the true peace, you have a place like I tell people to build from. Now, don't get me wrong. There's days what I build off of that foundation kind of crumbles, you know, because my, my strength is going to eventually go away and it does, but the strength of the Lord never goes away. So even when I fall, I fall back into his arms and I lean into his hope and and Jeremy, I'm telling you some days hope is all I have, dude, I'll be honest. There's rough times still in my life now. And I'm learning to talk about it a little more that dude, I just lean into his hope and, and then have build from there, meaning have the body of Christ, my brothers, folks like you, my pastors, my elders, other people that are with my ministry come alongside me and help, help me during that time. So that's why I truly believe if we don't have the foundation in the Lord, no matter what we're going through, when when it kind of crumbles away and we don't have a foundation, we're almost like back into that pit of hell. And it's rough, man.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, you, You know, this podcast, we talk often about and primarily about how to move forward in the face of difficulty right. and trial and trouble. Um, the title is March or die, right? Because I believe mm-hmm. metaphorically, a lot of people are just giving up. They're, they're right. living, but they're dead <laughs> inside, right. relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. Right. And there are a lot of techniques we can use to move forward. And we talk right. about those a lot, but it really comes down to having the right foundation, doesn't it?
1: I truly believe it does. Cause March or die means so much to me. I love that, that, that slogan, if you will, because obviously we're marching, we're marching. But if we don't have the strength around us, dude, you ain't marching for long. Yeah, <laughs> you know what right. I mean? You really aren't. And, and so I'm truly convicted from the fire seat, uh, service in my background to tell people keep pushing, keep pushing. We all have that. Keep pushing, keep pushing. But I also now keep pushing. But when you get so weak you can't, there's nothing stronger you can do than to fall back into God. I'm not talking about fall back into bed and pull the covers over. I'm talking about fall back into a strength, rebuild, let him refill you with the love and the strength from above that we need to keep marching. And that is that we are keep marching. We're marching forward in faith, even if we have to slow down a little bit and be there and let, let, you know, we're at the canteen getting refilled, (laughs) you know, that's right. I look at it. So yeah, dude, I totally believe in march or die, man, because without that, without you know the the love of god being our foundation through his son man it's just death as we know and then i just really pray that people will be convicted to to look deeper into their faith and then look at all the blessings god's given us yeah. which is counseling medication health just everything Use when when i say holistically i'm not saying holistically of the world i use a, the holy way from god right. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: there are a lot of resources available yeah that's
1: right right Right. Yeah. That's awesome.
0: Uh, we'll, we'll end there. There's no better place to end than, uh, man, fall back into, you know, our savior and comforter and the one who loves us. And, and, uh, certainly to know that God has a plan for us. that's bigger than what we're dealing with. Uh, that's a foundation we can stand firmly on. That's awesome. Uh, Jason, you have a podcast. I mentioned it earlier. Jesus is all we need. Um, at least one of your guests was pretty awesome. I know that because oh, yeah. I was He's one good. of those. So I, it was that that one is worth listening to. I don't oh, know about the rest still, of them.
1: <laughs> yours is actually going to be airing next week. So there's a little plug right there. All right, that.
0: we'll jo- <laughs> jump one. on that. So you guys can skip that one, but go listen to the other ones. Um, <laughs> some great guests on there. And then uh, your book, can you talk about your book, uh, what it is, who it's for, and uh, where folks can find it? Yeah, my
1: book is The Rescuer, One Firefighter's Story of Courage, Darkness, and the Relentless Love that saved him. And so it just goes over the first 28 years of my life, living faithless. And the day that I finally realized the evilness inside of me, when I was on the Bay bridge and I was trying to talk a jumper to come back over and look in eyes, eyes, his head snapped up. He said, I'm sorry. And he jumped and we locked eyes as he was taking his eternal plunge in his eyes. I saw the same thing I saw in my eyes. And at that day, I finally realized what it had been my whole life, the evilness, of this world that was drawn me down was going to, that took him down, was going to take me down. And just through a series of events, like the little old lady story, I told you about some fatality fire, some car wrecks, and then just grace upon grace being poured into me, how, how I came to Christ after uh, almost losing my life in that fire. And that's what the book does, but it's it's a book for everyone. Cause honestly, it's a book of, coming out of the darkness into the light and the yep. hope that can only be found in Christ Jesus. So yeah, it's uh it's the rescuer is the name of it. And people can look it up and it's available anywhere books are sold.
0: Anywhere books are sold. Awesome. Jason Sawtell. Thank you, man. Really appreciate it. Hopefully we can do this again.
1: Oh, I'm in man. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. And I really appreciate what you guys are doing over there at the mighty Oaks. Awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you.
0: What an incredible perspective brought to us by Jason and uh, so glad that he would take some time to be with us I would encourage you one more time, go check out his content. Go to his Facebook page. A lot of great resources there, including links to his book, which you can find The Rescuer just about everywhere books are sold, and his podcast, The Jesus Is All We Need Podcast. Check that out as well, and I would encourage you to do that. Thank you for joining me. I would encourage you, if you have not yet, subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the notification bell, leave comments, share that content out. If you're listening to the podcast, subscribe there so you get new episodes as they come online. For those of you that are over at Mojo, thank you for listening. And I want to remind you as we sign off today, as I do every week in life, there will be battles. There will be trials. There will be traumas. And you only have two choices when they come into your life. You can either march or you can stay where you are, throw in the towel, give up, and die. You need to march even when it would be easier to die. And thankfully, the choice is always yours. Thank you. We'll talk to you next time.
1: In a world where relationships are easily broken and often discarded, the Rebuilding Us Marriage Podcast is your lighthouse. Guiding the way to hope, restoration, and transformation in Christ. I'm your host and marriage coach, Dana Shea. Join me as we discuss the necessary tools for rebuilding marriages from adversity, betrayal, and disconnection. It's time to reignite love as we rebuild marriages from the ground up. Listen to the Rebuilding Us Marriage podcast on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.